Listen up. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the podcast participants and not to any participant's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. You know, for fun. So lighten up and enjoy. Oh my stomping Jen. Here we are. I am Sawtooth Frank, your host. You are Stomping Jen, our co-host, and this is what episode? 92. 92. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. Oh my God. We have come. Episode 92. So far in almost so two years. So many episodes. This is a great episode we have for you. Oh yeah? Why is that? We're talking about pollinators. A pollinator. We're going to find out. Oh, I'm excited. With Heidi Dollard. So stay tuned. We'll see you on the other side. The Soft Serve Podcast. Creamy, delicious ideas without the creepy truck. One of these days, Stomping Jen, <laughs> we will have to have a creepy truck we on the like, podcast. We should go out looking for a creepy truck operator. Wear your damn mask, though, if you're out looking for trucks. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's right. We're all still wearing masks. That's right. All right. Episode 92. We said it before. I'll say it again. I'm Sawtooth Frank, you're Stomping Jen, this is the Soft Serve Podcast, and we have a very special guest this we week. We have Sawtooth We have Heidi Dollard, who's going to talk to us about pollinators and issues about pollination. So we're going to say hi to Heidi. Hello, Heidi. Hi there. Thank you for coming on. We're really happy to have you. Very happy to be here. Now... We usually let our guests say whatever they would like about themselves because I don't like to paint people into a box. That is one thing I do not do. (laughs) So we're going to give our guests an opportunity to hear from you. Tell us whatever you'd like about yourself, who you are, what you do, why you're interested in pollination maybe. Okay, well, um, I am retired and I'm spending a good deal of my time as an environmental activist. And I have a special focus on pollinators and insects. And you may ask, why am I so interested in pollinators and insects? And the reason is they are incredibly important to the ecosystem and really to all life on the planet. And they are in trouble, in really, really bad trouble. Um, I think it's getting a fair amount of press now, but still a lot of people are, are unaware of the situation. And so I'm trying to educate people through multiple channels about why they should care and the specific things they can do to change things and turn things around and save pollinators and other insects and consequently save the planet. I'm not exaggerating. This is probably as serious a problem as global warming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And from what little I know about this, I do not disagree with you. So I want to kind of just back up a little bit. I think we're going to get into all of that stuff you mentioned. And I just want to kind of ask the question for people who are listening to this. They may not even know what is pollination. Right. Let right? me explain about pollination. Yeah. So um, flowering plants need to have sex. And being plants, they don't have the same body parts that animals do. So they need to get their just like other living beings, they have sperm and they have ovum and they need to get it together. Those things need to get together in order to make a seed or a fruit, basically a plant baby. Now, of course, plants can reproduce other ways, but the vast majority of flowering plants need pollination. They need to get their sperm together with an ovum. Um, and maybe about a third of our food plants use need a third party involved, uh, a bee, another insect, um, sometimes hummingbirds, mm -hmm. sometimes bats in mm. some situations. They need this, they need some a third party to carry the pollen, which is the sperm over to the ovum so that they can get a baby. So they need an external like inseminator, right. a, an, an yeah. agent to come and take the, the right. um, plant sperm and put it onto the, the plant ovum, which is the, right. which is the flower usually. Am I right about that? Well, the, usually the both, both um, the sperm and the ovum are part of the same, oh. are part of the flower. Some flowers are not self-fertile. So if you took pollen, which is the sperm part, and put it right in the same flower or on the same plant, it wouldn't work. It has to be a different, a different individual. And this is where bees come in. So a lot of flowers entice bees with nectar, sort of like a little, a little, uh, a little bribe, a little mm -hmm. gift, get the bee to come over and take a sip or you know a different insect or a hummingbird and while they're there they they brush against the pollen and they get the pollen on their body or on their legs and then they go to another plant and take a little sip and the pollen brushes off and the plant is is inseminated is pollinated okay so that's a and you said up to or a third, maybe possibly more of our food. About a third of our food plants. Our food plants are, are poll require pollinators. Okay. And the vast majority of those plants are pollinated by native bees. Native bees. So native I understand from a previous conversation we had on this mm -hmm. podcast with um, Lindsay and Matt, who run. Oak and Ash Farm and Distillery in Belchertown that uh -huh. what we think of as a honeybee is not actually native to North Correct. America. That's a very important point. I'm yep. glad you brought that up. A lot of people are confused about that. Honeybees are kind of like cattle. They're, they're livestock. They mm -hmm. are a, an animal that has been bred by humans and kept by humans for a specific purpose, both to make honey and also to provide pollinator services. But yep. um, 
And there are some crops, that, crops like almonds in particular, where there's vast tracts of land that are, pollen, that are um, planted in almond trees, and there couldn't possibly be enough bees in the vicinity, right. naturally occurring bees in the vicinity to pollinate all those flowers. So what the farmers need to do is truck in hundreds and hundreds, probably tens of thousands even of um, bee hives from all over, all over the country to pollinate those, those almonds. But, um, and there are a number of crops where the farmers have to pay, they rent beehives, they truck them in. But most of our crops, most of our local crops are pollinated by native bees. Yeah. Um, now you mentioned that I think most pollinators are insects, but there are, and I did, you know, I know you mentioned some other ones like bats and other things. Yeah, not around here, yeah. but yeah. I think the only non, um, non-insect pollinator around here is a hummingbird. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I was surprised to learn, you know, that wasps are pollinators. Yeah. I have a, I have a, I won't even say a love hate relationship mm-hmm. with wasps. I hate wasps and I had yeah. for a long time been anti-wasp. And uh, mostly because for a long time we were waging a battle against these in-ground nests all over our mm. property. We yeah. we finally got rid of them, and I feel better about wasps now. But <laughs> at the at, for a long time I hated them. And I watched yeah. a video a week ago by some British gentleman. I wish I could remember um, his name, where he kind of walked through how important wasps are um, yeah. and what um, a vital role they play to pollination. Mm-hmm. So there's like and this many wasps do. Yeah, there's like this but, meme. You know, a lot of wasps don't bite. Yeah, I didn't know that. And there's like a really popular meme going around that you know, like says like, "What what are wasps good for? Nothing. They're the assholes of the animal kingdom." But uh, you know, like, but I actually I you, learned recently. Expanded your. Well, as I was preparing for this um, conversation, I was doing some research. I was surprised to learn they play a, a, like an important role in pollination. So people. If you're listening to this, wasps are not just assholes. They are <laughs> important pollinators. They're also what we're talking about here too, mm-hmm. I think, I hope. So Well, you know, that's that's the kicker about insects, about this whole business of supporting pollinators. Yeah. Insects are kind of a tough sell to the general public. Most people when they think of insects, they think, oh, mosquitoes, bed bugs, yellow jackets silverfish, cockroaches. I mean, you know, I could go on and on. Yeah. Who wants to, who, you know, if insects disappeared, maybe that would be a good thing. No, that yeah. would not be a good thing. That would really be the end of life on earth as we know it. Yeah. And I think one of the things I learned at some point, I don't remember when, I have a undergraduate degree in microbiology. And mm-hmm. I think um, on that journey towards that degree, I learned that most of the flowering plants on this planet co-evolved with insects. Correct. That's why they have this kind of um, symbiotic um, commensual and symbiotic That's relationship. Symbiotic in many cases. Yeah. yeah. So they th- couldn't they couldn't survive. Yeah. Without. So um, I was surprised. You know, I think I was surprised to learn that at the time, and I think it underscores how important one. You know, one is to the other. Well, I think in general, the entire ecosystem is so reliant upon each other. That's, that's I think, more, I mean, yes, obviously, 
this topic, but you know what? I'm just expanding out the lens a little bit yeah. further, you know? You know, like the flies and the ants and this, you know, the scavengers that eat the dead things and, you know, just you can go on and on and on and on and on. Yeah. Well, some flies are pollinators too, not not the flies that you get in your house or, mm-hmm. you know, that, um, well, there's a lot of different flies, but the flies that are pollinators are probably ones you wouldn't necessarily notice. Right. But yeah. be- some beetles are pollinators too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Heidi, you mentioned that for a lot of people, insects are, you know, understandably, you know, a hard sell, right? Yeah. How did you get interested in pollinators and insects what drew you in could you tell us well first of all before before I worked in IT um, I actually was a biologist I have a master's degree in biology actually with an emphasis on marine biology I did not know that about you little known fact (laughs) Um, so I already knew a lot about biology I've always I've always loved science and you know um the natural world and always have done a lot of stuff outside, um, always read a lot of science. But I was, I, I think I read an article or I listened to a podcast a few years ago about a study in Germany where they had, um, they had measured the biomass of insects in a specific area and they, discovered that since the 1970s, in other words, since I was, you know, like in college, the um, biomass of insects had decreased by 70%, which is huge. Mm -hmm. Think of that. Yeah. 70% less insects on the planet. And if we think of how important they are to everything else, that is terrifying. And when 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 they mentioned that statistic, I thought, you know, yeah, I remember when I was a kid, I, I remember, you know, piles of dead insects under like the the light next to our front door. I remember right. driving at night in the summer and our car would be just like covered with dead insect goo. You don't see that anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's obvious there's such a decrease of insects. You can see it with your own eye if you are if you're my age, you can remember when there were more insects in the world. Just now, do you, can you recall? And if you can't, that's understandable. When, when they think this decline in, in, in global insect populations began? It's been pretty much a steady, a steady decrease. They didn't, they didn't say specifically, but, um, you know, there's been a lot of speculation about why it is. And of course, the two biggest things are use of pesticides, which of course is goes unchecked practically. And both, you know, in home environments, but especially agriculturally, and loss of habitat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, as more and more of the, the earth's surface becomes you know, yes. suburbs. <laughs> yeah. And I, th- I think a lot of people might not imagine that insects like other larger animals need habitat, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because they're often so unseen mm-hmm. by us, right. you know, right. they may not think that, you know, um, clear cutting, you know, a couple thousand acres could impact an insect population. 
putting yeah. in solar panels. Yeah. Right. Solar panels. <laughs> that's what I, that's what I would think. Yeah. So, so you're, um, you're describing being aware kind of a, a few decades ago about this, this fact about decreasing biomass in global insect populations. Is that what began to get you interested in Insects? Yeah, you know, I think that this is this is like a very key environmental issue. But another reason why this is is an important cause for me is that this is something we can fix. We ourselves, each one of us can do something. You know, with a lot of other things, you know, it's far away, it's in Washington. Or it's, you know, you can't change what the oil companies are doing. But you know what? You can really make a difference in your own yard. Or even if you don't even have a yard, if you just have, you know, a community garden plot or you have a balcony where you can plant something. The power, we have the power. We, the people, have the power to really turn this around. And I'm so... That for me is exciting and optimistic. This is this is a problem we can fix. You and me and everybody else who's listening can do something to fix this, something really positive. Yep. And I wanna ask now, I think, what governments are doing um, in terms of I think legislation they may be passing to make this problem worse, right? We 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 talked a little bit about how this global decline in insect populations began many decades ago. We may or may not know why that is, but what we do know is that in the state we live in, in the state of Massachusetts, there are some pieces of legislation that are working their way through the government that well, are really Right. The yeah. piece of legislation you're referring to yeah. was passed on July 16th. So, And it's waiting signature, right? I think from the governor. The waiting the governor's signature, right. Yeah. But since he was the one that proposed it, I'm sure he'll sign it. And, you know, I, I can say a lot of good things about Baker, but yeah. he's a terrible environmentalist. He really, he's got his... His score on environmental stuff is like an F minus. Yeah. Well, what was the legislature? I don't know anything about it. I don't know anything about it. So if you could. Well, let me tell you about the specific bill that we're talking about. Sure. Um, this is a mosquito control bill. And the state of Massachusetts has always, for I guess decades, done mass spraying to control the mosquito population. And the, the main reason it's, is that they consider mosquitoes to be a public health problem because they carry, there's a number of mosquito-borne diseases, particularly West Nile and equine, Eastern equine encephalitis. And you may know, to, you know that there's always something in the paper like, yep. oh my God, we found three mosquitoes that have West Nile virus or something. Right. No, we got to like blanket the state with pesticides. And basically that's what they do. They do aerial spraying and truck spraying in, res if in response to discovering a certain number of mosquitoes that carry that disease. 
Um, so, well, first of all, this mass spraying doesn't really do a great job of controlling the disease. The diseases really are pretty minor, <laughs> mm -hmm. especially when you look at, for example, COVID-19, there's usually a handful of cases every year, like under 15 in the whole state. So this kind of spending millions of dollars on spreading pesticides all over the place is just a remarkable waste of time and money. Yeah. And extremely damaging to the environment because of course these pesticides just don't kill mosquitoes, they kill everything. Yeah. all the insects and probably are very damaging to amphibians and birds and children. I was going to say, it's like dropping a stick of dynamite in a pond to go fishing, right? To catch yeah. one fish. Yeah. Yeah. You know, let's just destroy the pond. Yeah. Right. Um, now it's interesting. I was trying to read this bill, yeah. you know, before we talked and, right. you know, it has a lot of like it took me a while to even like see through it that it was some kind of like spraying bill. It has lots of like pro environmental sounding language in it. Like, yeah. and I'm not even entirely sure what I read, like of what I read. It's so yeah. dense and full of legalese and. Um, yeah. It's almost in code. Yeah. Um, so this got, this bill got passed. Um, mm -hmm. Now, does it provide uh, for statewide application of these pesticides to reduce mosquito populations? Yeah, the real kicker in this bill, the reason that it's worse than the previous policy and the previous practice is that the bill specifically says that the state has the right to go and spray in any community, anywhere, in the state, even if the community says, no, we don't want you, we don't want you to spray, stand down, no spraying here. The only way a community can prevent themselves from being sprayed is if they can present this mosquito control board with an alternative mosquito control plan that that board approves. And there's, if you read that legislation, there's also some scary stuff. They only give people 48 hours notice that oh they're going to do something. God. And, and they don't really disseminate it in a very easy way for you to even find out. Now, you can um, ask that your property not be sprayed. But, you know, if they're doing aerial spraying and you have like a half acre lot, mm -hmm. What do you think the chances are that they're going to skip over you? Right. <laughs> that the, this spray isn't going to drift over from the street? Of course, of course, you're going to be you're going to be inundated with this spray. Right. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, people who may look at this or the application of these pesticides, you know, may may say, oh, they're just spraying over, you know. The, the hundred acres, you know, behind my house. They're not spraying my yard. They're, now, these hundred acres that they're spraying in is likely where these pollinators are living, right? Correct. Yep. Correct. So they're they're dumping right, the this unpopulated areas yeah. where the habitats are. Right. So well, they, 
Yeah, they're probably spraying where there's wetlands because that's where the mosquitoes are. Now, how can... So this bill has been passed, right? Um, yeah. It just hasn't been signed by the governor yet. Right, right. Um, do we have any idea about why Baker wanted this legislation so badly? Was it just because it looks good for him and his administration to say, I took steps to reduce, you know, deadly mosquito diseases. Or well, is there... there is the mosquito control board, yeah. which I believe is very politically powerful. And they do have a lot of representatives from industry, from the chemical industry, and also from traditional agriculture on this mosquito control board. Mm. One of the things that the Toxic Action Network fought to get was get getting wider representation on this control board, which they did get. They did say that there needed to be representatives from, you know, organic growers associations and public health agencies. So it's possible that there could be um, some more intelligent life administering this mosquito spraying but um is this you know, one is this one mosquito control board for the whole state yes of massachusetts yes, yes that's yes. scary like how could that how could that board pros- possibly understand and make decisions for an entire um state's worth of what i'm assuming are very um individualized ecosystems Right. And plus, you know, there's a lot of towns have organic farms. And mm-hmm. of course, the organic farm doesn't want to be sprayed. So, you know, there's, <laughs> there's people who keep beehives. And yeah, this the whole thing is just terrifying sure. that this is what our government is spending our tax dollars on. Shouldn't the Mosquito Control Board be looking for alternative methods to control the mosquito population? They should. And people should be too. You know, when I I drive around and I see these these Mosquito Joe signs, I just, it just gives me a stomach ache because, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're spraying their yards and they're, they're afraid of mosquitoes and they're afraid of ticks. And they think that, you know, somehow this is, this is a good thing. Well, they're 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 killing all life in their in their yard, and they can't really. It can't ever really be effective. You can't really really prevent your kid from getting a mosquito bite or a tick bite. You know, there's yeah. much much safer ways of dealing with this. For example, there's something called mosquito dunks. You put out. Uh, it's a commercial product. You can probably get it. You know anywhere around here and it's it is just specific to mosquitoes you put out one of these dunks it looks like kind of this donate donut shaped yeah it's a little like a little disc right i've seen those yep but you put it in a bucket of water the mosquitoes lay their eggs in that bucket of water they're attracted to it and it kills off the mosquitoes as larvae and it's very very localized it's very specific to mosquitoes it doesn't kill anything else you know if people just just thought about what they're doing and did a little research 
for most insects, there are alternatives that are not harmful to the environment. Yeah, and also, um, you know, going like going around your property and emptying out flower pots that might have standing water on them, tipping over your wheelbarrow so it's not (laughs) acting like a little mini pond. Right. Basically, just going around and identifying sources of standing water and spilling them out can make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Do we do Mm -hmm. that? I do that, yeah, on the regular. Yeah. Yeah. Do we have mosquito dunks? Uh, we don't have mosquito dunks, but Stomping Jen doesn't know. I'm very, I'm very busy when I'm out there in the yard. The yard I, is I'm, his domain. I'm out there. It's not my domain. Tipping, tipping water over, and I actually repurpose it. I take it and I dump it into my other plants, but I never let it go to waste. All right, so this bill, this bill is making its way to Governor Baker. Anybody yeah, who on his desk, it's waiting for his signature. So presumably he's going to sign it. So what can we, what can we do now to either um, make the implementation of this legislation more difficult or oppose it um i guess that's an um, and or what, what what can we yeah, do i'm not i mean, think one of the key things is to be getting intelligent people on the mosquito control board and there's supposed to be a separate committee formed to try to um for more intelligent mosquito control policy. So this would be a sep- separate committee, but there was no funding for it um, put in the bill. So it could be kind of a moot point. Um, so I think we're gonna need additional legislation in the next legislative s- um, session. S- session. And um, the legislator from Amherst, Mindy Dome mm-hmm. was, apparently very active on this issue. Unfortunately, I did try contacting our representative, Petrolati, and got no answer Mm. to my emails or phone calls. But I guess he's kind of a lame duck. So he probably is already checked out. So we need to concentrate on the new incoming legislators and make sure that we elect people who are um, very environmentally aware and willing to take action on this issue. Okay. And we're not, nobody here is suggesting if we see um, pesticide planes flying above us that we attempt to take them out of the sky, right? (laughs) You know, I'm not sure how much they... they spray right around here because they would have to spray so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, but I tried to find out where the actual areas are that they're spraying and I wasn't able to find that. Hmm. It could be that they haven't started spraying yet for this year. Because well, mosquitoes yeah. come out really in August, right? Yeah. Or that's yeah. when they uh, get like really, that's when you start to hear about cases of things. Right. I right. think that is when Tripoli and West Nile has begun to propagate itself yeah. through yes. the population. But I'm just saying anecdotally, mosquitoes themselves yeah, are, out. you know, out in like May. Yeah. April, May. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I have, I have mosquito bites. I have plenty of mosquito bites already. Yeah. Now, now you mentioned a, a while ago that you, you, you can notice just by walking around in the world that there are less insects overall now what what are some what are some signs that our local pollinator populations might 
be sick or in decline, is there anything that that people can be on the lookout for? Is is it something that we can observe other than wildlife biologists telling us about this? Well, here's something that's pretty obvious is if you walk past a typical suburban house that's surrounded by, you know, an acre of lawn and maybe a few foundation shrubs, that's that's an ecological desert that supports almost no pollinator life whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a clear sign of habitat loss. And you know, if you have the, if you have one of those suburban lots, you could completely transform it into a pollinator heaven without a whole lot of effort or expense. There's some really, you know, you you could go to town and plant trees and bushes and, you know, pollinate or meadow, and that would be great. That would be super. But a really simple thing that someone could do is just mow their lawn less. There's actually some really interesting studies that show if you um, only mow your lawn once every two weeks, you and you let all the, you know, the little flowering weeds that um, like clover and um, things like that that grow in your lawn, give those, give give them a chance to flower that you help pollinators tremendously. Yeah. That's what we do here. Yeah. In our yard, uh, two or three weeks. And I do it specifically to try to help the bees because I read that a few years back. Yeah. Very effective. Um, you and met- it does not increase ticks at all. Not in the slightest. They have they've they the same people. There's a woman named um uh Susan Lerman or Lerner at UMass who's done a lot of work on this, on how to how to make your your yard, lawns in particular, more pollinator friendly. And um she checked, she's done some work checking for ticks. Are these longer lawns attracting ticks? No, they're not. She couldn't find any more ticks. Yeah. Now I am beginning, I did some research into this and I'm beginning to construct a pollinator meadow in my front yard. Can you talk a little bit about what that is? Can you, could you tell us? Yes. Well, um, there's a lot of different, a lot of different meadows, and it can be either really complicated or or relatively simple. If you really want to go to town, and just have native plants, you pretty much have to start from bare earth and really get rid of the seed this um, the seed bank that's already in your soil, yeah. and uh, it's. I would love everybody to do this, but I have to say it's it's not an easy thing to do. And I don't want to encourage people to use chemicals. There are some ecologists, people who do um, habitat restoration, which recommend using Roundup. And um, you know, Roundup is very controversial and it is a chemical. So I probably is not that good for pollinators. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you can do is you can um, lay down cardboard and kill what's there, and then you can put down 
clear plastic over that and let it solarize or black plastic works too um, and try to kill the weeds in the top soil and then you can put down various native plant mixes and um, that would be that would be the high effort way and if you want to do that I would be thrilled but if you want to do a really simple thing and just make a meadow just stop mowing your lawn yeah that's it just don't mow your lawn and all kinds of fascinating things are going to pop up in there and um there are some plants which if you plant in your meadow will be there are plants that are like super great for pollinators like milkweed, common milkweed is, is probably one of the primary ones. A lot of trees and bushes are essential for pollinators. And um, ecologists who are really trying to encourage people to turn their yards into habitat, um, encourage people to plant trees that are really um, good because pollinators, do they need pollen and they need nectar, yeah. but they also need to eat leaves yeah. when when um, a lot of butterflies are, you know, go through their life cycle. Mm -hmm. They're an egg and then they're a caterpillar. And when they're a caterpillar, they have to eat leaves. Yeah. And um, probably the best plant for those caterpillars are oaks. oaks. White, white oaks are the best. We have a lot of those on, on our property. Now, what yeah. I what I have done, I have noticed that it seems like these pollinators, butterflies, bees, they like these uh, ornamental grasses that I have. So I've planted a bunch of them around the Are they the yard. native grasses? I think so. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. But I always see bees. I always see bees around them. They seem to like them. Well, that's always a good sign. Yeah. So, <laughs> so there's, there's a lot of information on the web. There's something called Native Plant Finder that can help you um, identify the best yeah. native species for your area. Okay. Native Plant Finder. Yeah. Native to. Plant. I think it's nativeplantfinder.org. Oh. And there's tons and tons of resources online. There's the Xerces Society. That's spelled X-E-R-C-E-S. Um, it's named after an extinct butterfly, mm. <laughs> which um, is supporting pollinator habitat. Um, there's a great website called Healthy Yards. Um, there's uh, our own local Nasami farm and what used to be called... Um, the framing, what did it used to be called? Now it's the Native Plant Trust has fabulous resources. Um, there's, I belong to the Western Massachusetts Pollinator Networks, which has both a website and a Facebook page. Um, so those are some of the, the resources that you can get online that will tell you which plants are best to support pollinators and insects. So it's so so it sounds like people can take some really you know easy steps to help yes. out in your local um, little ecosystem, your yard and the surrounding area, exactly. just by planting exactly. some things in your yard. That's awesome. Right. Um, right. Converting your lawn to habitat. Now, one of the things, and you mentioned this before, is that uh -huh. that. Insects are not an easy lift for people. 
right? right. Why should we care about these things? Right. Um, so, you know, how, how can we get people to see um, that something, you know, as small as a bee has a huge impact on their lives and that we need to act? Like, how can we, how can we get through? Well, um, there's, there's this guy, Doug Tallamy, who's an, um, professor at University of Delaware. He's um, an entomologist and he's done fabulous research and he's a great spokesperson. You should, if you um, Google some of his, his lectures on YouTube, he's, he's a really, really compelling speaker. He has a great story to tell about birds you know almost everybody likes birds right mm -hmm. they're not in everybody you know people feed birds people want birds in their yard people love to bird watch and identify birds so he has a story about a, a a typical chickadee family that he observed in his own yard now chickadee babies and no bird babies eat seeds they got to eat something more meaty Soft, right, meaty, soft <laughs> digestible. Um, they eat caterpillars. They and he has counted the number of caterpillars that it takes to raise one clutch, one nest, and it's between six thousand and nine thousand caterpillars. What? To yes, that's a lot of caterpillars. Yeah, it is. Over the course to raise like one nest's worth of babies, like three or four babies in a nest, six to 9,000. So you need to plant, if you like birds, you better be planting plants that feed caterpillars. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It's the, um, the spider web of life. Well, here's the interesting <laughs> thing. Like I'm listening yeah. to you talk and then I, my mind starts to think about, um, invasive species that are yes, in our important. environment and how do we address that because there's things like gypsy moths and then the emerald ash borer right. that are killing all the trees yeah right um you know yeah the gypsy moths are really tough i really struggled mm -hmm. um i you know i have a relatively new yard it was new construction so you know i was looking at literally bare ground. And I wanted to plant a lot of stuff. I wanted to turn the whole yard into habitat. And I thought about planting a lot of white oaks, but this was when the, in the middle of a really bad gypsy moth year. Yeah. And I was, I was thinking, they're just going to be devoured by the gypsy moths. I can't, I can't plant white oaks. Right. So I didn't, I didn't. Um, and we have an enormous white oak in the corner of the property, huge, beautiful tree. Mm -hmm. And um, my husband, it was, it was pretty much defoliated last year. And my husband was afraid that it would be again this year. And we actually did put a systemic insecticide mm -hmm. called ACE mm -hmm. into the tree. Mm -hmm. um, and then as it turns out, it was not a bad gypsy moth year, but it was, it was a really, really, tough decision because yeah. It, yeah but um cherries cherries are another really good tree with cherries willows there's a lot of other trees that are feed a lot of caterpillars mm -hmm, mm 
So um, there are a lot of, there are a lot of choices if you go through those lists. Yeah. So he so he, and so he is kind of framing um, the um, I want to say it's Doug Tallenby, but that can't be Doug right. T A L L A M Y. Okay, Tallenby. Yep. I, in my mind, I said I, it was B, and I thought that would be so fun and cute. <laughs> no. um, so he um, he is framing the problem by telling this story about a bird family. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think th- I think that is something that could definitely maybe um, touch people or connect with them. And I'm wondering if there are butterflies. People love butterflies. They do. The hungry right. caterpillar. What's um that guy? Um, Eric Carl. Eric Carl. Yeah, Eric Carl. We, right. we need to get him on this pollinator um situation. <laughs> Sorry, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, caterpillars. People have some people think they're cute and pretty, and of course there is that book, The Very Hungry Caterpillar. Yeah. Some people think bumblebees are very cute. You know, little stripy bottoms and stuff. But um, I think they're the exception. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is hard. I, you know ladybugs maybe in the abstract i uh, yeah yeah like like we were eating dinner and a spider crawled across the table and my and our daughter like freaked out and we're all like spiders are good they kill other insects like there's nothing wrong with spiders yeah i think you make a really good point is that a lot of this education needs to start with very young children because a lot of children do have this knee-jerk reaction that insects are bad, they're scary, they're going to yeah. bite them. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, very few native pollinators sting anybody. A yeah. lot of them don't even have stingers. Mostly when people are bitten by what, or stung by what they think is a, is a bee, it's either a honeybee or it's a yellow jacket, which isn't even technically a bee. Yeah. Yellow jackets. Those, those are the, the ones, worst. Those are the ones I don't like. <laughs> those are the yeah, worst. Yeah, they're very, they're very aggressive. Yeah, yep. territorial and aggressive. And I'm and I'm wondering, I'm wondering in my mind if there are things we can learn from other successful environmental campaigns. Well, you know, we have to really look to the EU. Yeah. Um, the European Union has been much, much, much more. Um, aware of this problem. They've banned a lot of chemicals. Um, One of the chemicals that really people should be aware of is a group of chemicals called neonicotinoids. Oh, yeah. These are chemicals that actually go into the soil and are sprayed on seeds. And what's really bad about these is that they're absorbed into the tissue of the plant and they stay there for a couple of years. Um, So if and aren't these aren't these chemicals that have been positioned as healthier alternatives to other herbicides? Yeah. It it is, and it's really sad. It's yeah. it's very sad. They're healthier for people, yeah, because they're just mixed into the soil. So the agricultural workers don't breathe them. Yep, and they're derived and they yeah. on their skin. So it is at the time of the application. It is healthier for those agricultural yeah. workers. That's true, yep. but, but it persists in the soil. It persists in the tissue of the plant. It's actually absorbed or it's passed into the pollen and the nectar. And then the bees eat the pollen and the nectar and either they die outright or they suffer what's known as 
um, sublethal effects. So, you know, they may not actually just die on the spot, but it may affect their ability to fly or to navigate or reproduce. And then, you know, essentially that generation dies. And I think this, and I think this stuff is derived from tobacco plants, nicotine. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. And, and, you know, there we, you know, I I obviously don't want to go too too far into this rabbit hole but there you have another powerful industry right that is suffering over here right um in terms of declining uh, tobacco product use so hey let's worm our way into uh topical herbicides and create this thing that seems safer but it's actually slowly um, poisoning and killing pollinators yeah i don't know where the nicotine in the neonicotinoids comes from it yeah. could be just you know created in a lab i might so, be making that up people yeah, so i don't i don't know yeah, let's don't, not spread misinformation don't follow me don't follow me to podcast hey i have a disclaimer at the beginning of this yeah uh-huh. so yeah i can let's say whatever i want research on this topic yeah you know and one of and just a little bit further towards that point i mean this as we've talked about this is a serious serious problem this right. this loss of pollinators, um, and you know what what I've seen, and I was doing a little bit of research on this, and immediately I began seeing articles about um, corporations who, instead of actually looking at addressing the problem, right, like what's killing pollinators, what can we do to promote um, mm-hmm. pollinator populations, they say let's design robot bees. Let's invest millions and billions of dollars into creating robot bees. Let the pollinators die because we can make robot bees. Yep. And just, they watch it, Black Mirror. I'm just saying that is just such an American solution. Like, and it is so well, frustrating. If it's American or if it isn't Chinese, because um, in China, there are large tracts of land where there's no pollinators. And a lot of the um, pear orchards are pollinated by hand, by people. People going out with a little paintbrush and brushing the pollen from one flower to another. Can you imagine how expensive those pears must be? I can. And the thing I want to say is one of the companies that's looking into robot bees is Walmart. They're investing a lot of money into this research. And I think Monsanto was dipping. Oh, of course. Yeah, of course, right? Yep, was Little dipping. Empire. Yeah. yeah, was dipping their toes into that pond too. Yeah, so. because they're they're producing chemicals that are just killing all the bees, and they don't want to stop. Yeah, they're. I mean, they're a whole other level of evil. Like mm-hmm. the stuff that they're doing with their GMO corn yep. and suing farmers. We won't go into all that. Are you aware of this, Heidi? Yes. Yeah, yes. it's crazy. Um, Real quick for people listening, like what um, what Monsanto has done has done is patented the genes in their corn. They go and they buy tracts of land next to other corn farmers. They plant their corn next door, and then the wind just because it's wind carries wind the pollinated, pol- right? Yeah, the wind corn is wind pollinated. Yep, or the bees or whatever. They 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 they, <laughs> they contaminate the other farmers. Um, crop with the Monsanto corn and then Monsanto sues them and demands a cut of their profits because 
Your corn now has our patented genes. I don't. I'm not sure if they're winning in court. There's been some recent. I hope not. Decisions against Monsanto, or it, it's yeah, of course. Well, that's a whole. That's a whole other, whole other topic mm-hmm. for yeah. another, another another podcast. And let me just say, let me just say, um, I don't know any of that to be true. What? That's just what I. That's just what I we heard. watched a whole documentary on that. Yeah, but I also don't want to get sued by Monsanto, okay. so I don't know that any of that's actually true. Go investigate it yourself, people. Yeah. All right. So, one one of the things I wanted to ask, and maybe you uh-huh. could shed some light on this. We hear about the um, organic food industry, right? right? I'm buying organic food at Whole Foods, so I don't need to worry about anything, including pollinators. Is the organic food industry pollinator friendly? Do they have, is there work they can do in this area? Um, If you're buying organic food, should you also still be thinking about um, the health of pollinators? Yes. Well, buying organic food is great because that means you're supporting a farmer who is not spreading pesticides. And as we know, pesticides are a huge, huge, huge problem. For pollinators. So that buying organic is great. Every time I buy organic bananas, I think there's there's a banana farmer somewhere in Costa Rica who's not spreading pesticides in the jungle. And I think, okay, I did a good thing. Yeah. Um, but that's not enough. If you, you know, I hate to say this, but I have friends who buy all organic food for themselves and have no compunction about spreading whatever chemicals they want on their lawn. And that's just nuts. Yeah. I, I think people think that somehow the world is big enough so that you can, you know, throw your waste out into the world and it will be diluted enough, you know, that it won't, it won't like come back to haunt you. Mm-hmm. Oh, unfortunately, the world is a closed system and we've produced so much pesticides that the world isn't big enough to dilute it. It's just we're accumulating this stuff everywhere and it's in our bodies. It's in our children's bodies Mm -hmm. and we got to stop for for the good of everybody. We really have to stop using pesticides or use pesticides in only the, the most in the situation of the absolute last resort. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I volunteer at a native plant nursery. And of course, um, you know, the whole point of it is to support pollinators. And the the little hoop house, um, the little greenhouse was invaded by wasps. Oh. And of course we weren't gonna spray them. And it turned out it wasn't really that hard to get rid of them. Every night after they were not active, the owner just came in and took down the nest. And after a while, they just went away. Yeah. And I also read that you can put up like an artificial wasp nest. Oh, I have one of those. They work. Yeah. Yeah. I put it under my How pool deck. Is that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a little cloth bag that has like the striations of a wasp nest kind of like sewn into it and you can just hang it up like on a nail. Yeah, and the wasps say, oops. Yeah, 
There's already Where's somebody the here. Move on. Yeah, it's like uh, Game of Thrones. They're Somebody's like, oh, already in the neighborhood. There's a, there, yeah, there's, there's a, a wasp in my neighborhood. Yeah, that's that's King's Landing. I'm gonna go <laughs> to Winterfell. Yeah. Um, do you have a no, favorite? I think people need to be more proactive than yeah. just buying organic produce. Right. Although, hey, I give them five gold stars for buying yeah. organic produce. Organic local produce is is a great thing, but there are there's other things that they can do and they should do. Um, you mentioned invasives and invasive insects are a big problem, but invasive plants are also a huge problem yeah. because they, for the most part, provide no food for the native flora and fauna, like, you know, multiflora rose, um, bittersweet, Oh, I hate that stuff. That's Bittersweet. Corn. There's um, autumn olive. There's a whole list of things. If you if you go online, you can get a list of noxious invasives, some of which are still sold at garden centers. So um, if you know, again, if you own a piece of land, eradicate the invasives from from the land and replace them with native plants that that do provide ecological value for the native fauna. Yeah, and once and again, I, yeah. I, and I think for people, you know, listening to this, if, if you are struggling with invasive plants like we are here um, at the Soft Serve Podcast Homestead, I mean, we have we have what I can only describe as a encroaching jungle of bittersweet surrounding yeah. our yard. And yeah. I go out there every year with the machete and I yeah. chop it down. I love it. It's great. I It makes me feel primal. I get to sharpen <laughs> my machete. Um, but as I was researching this, I saw a bunch of people saying, oh, you take this particular poison and just inject it in the ground all over your yard, like, you know, wherever you see it popping up. I'm like thinking to myself, oh my God, please don't. We live in a, a we live in a community with mostly wells, mm-hmm. right, around here. Um, and then never mind what it's doing to like the animals in mm-hmm. the area. So, um, well, the issue of chemicals to control invasives, um, I actually went to a, a talk by Doug Tallamy last November. And one of the stories that he tells is that when he moved, first moved into his current house, I guess like 15 years ago, 15 or 20 years ago, it was 10 acres of horrible invasives. And basically his wife, who's you know an average woman in her 40s, cleared it herself, you know, that she was able to eradicate the invasives. You know, I, I, I think it was probably a full-time job for quite a while, for several months. And so after, after the talk, I said, you must have used some chemical. Did you use Roundup? And he said, no, he didn't use Roundup. He used a different um, chemical called Garlon. Hmm. And I, I researched it and um, found that there's other products which have the same active ingredient. And I bought some. And then I read all of the instructions. And I was so completely intimidated by how noxious and poisonous. But if Doug Tallamy thinks it's okay, 
It probably is. Apparently it's a plant hormone mm. and it's not damaging to, you know, you have to be really careful with it. Yeah. And, and I think the way he recommends using it is that you cut down the plant at ground level and then you put a little tiny dab of this chemical on the cut stump. So you're putting a minimal amount of it into the environment. Yeah. But, you know, the sad thing is, I well, you know, there could be some superheroes out there who could really dig out every last bit of invasive plant by the roots and really eradicate it. But I think that's pretty, most of us, we did. Yeah. It's a hard battle to fight. Yeah, yeah it's what really you're trying to battle. say. So it might be a case where very, very selective use of chemicals is the only way to go. And then, sorry, this like brings up so many, a host of different topics just from my like, you know, time on the select board, you know, like, you know, I have to deal with things like, you know, we've been getting into water sports this season um, and the invasive species in the water, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, the trees, which I mentioned before, like right. all the dead trees in this area because of the invasive species. How do all these invasives get here? It's crazy. Like, no, is right. it is it like nurseries that, oh, this is a pretty plant. Like, let's bring it. Let's try to sell it and market it. And they don't realize what it does or. You well, know. a lot of plants, yeah, did come in that way or they came in on on packaging, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, or they were the packaging, yeah. you know, that there, right. there was straw or something, or they come in on airplane tires. They come in in the guts of birds. Yeah. Um, Martha, you know, Martha Stewart brings them in as wreaths. <laughs> <laughs> All her fault. Yes. Oh my God. Where did that come from? So I have a stupid question. Do underwater plants need pollinators of any kind? No, not that I know of. No. Okay. I don't think that there's any any plants that actually flower underwater. So they would so they would probably do all their flowering at the surface and then right. need Correct. But water right. plants need pollinators, I would imagine if they have a flower, right? Yeah. 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 Well, like lily pads, right? Yeah. Like lilies. Frogs right. might no, be a wait, pollinator. No, wait. Am I saying the right thing? What am I? Lotus flowers that grow on right. the lotus. Yeah. Lilies are both Water plants which flower above the surface. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what I'm trying to. Do you have a favorite pollinator? Hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, butterflies are very beautiful. I love yeah. butterflies, and and you know, for me, there is that aesthetic aspect to all this that I, you know, I'm astonished that other people don't respond to. You know, if you go out into a pollinator garden and you see all these beautiful flowers and, you know, that are just like a buzz with bees and you look closely at a lot of these insects, besides the butterflies, they're beautiful. You know, they're, many of them have beautiful colors and patterns and they're, you know, kind of metallic green or crazy red. You know, it's this whole, it, it's, it's so beautiful if... Yeah, and but, you, you mentioned this before, you know, like, just go out and sit down and just watch, mm -hmm. like, a cluster right. of plants or something. And I, like, I actually, I really enjoy watching bees and trying to follow them around before they get away, but, and, like, watching them go from thing to thing. 
like even when we had a wasp infestation, like as I was figuring out how to kill them all, I would lie down by their nest and just watch them so I could understand like where they were going, how they were getting in and out and their comings and goings. And they eventually, they got used to me. I never got stung once. And because I just laid there and I watched them and they were fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. I was transfixed. I wish that everybody felt that way. I think so many people are just not that attuned to the natural world. Mm-hmm. So, They'd rather be, you know, at TJ Maxx or something yeah. than yeah. out in the garden. Mm-hmm. And, you know, next time you're next time you're at the mall or something, you know, sometimes these places have pots full of flowers sitting out front. You know, sit by, sit by, sit by one of those pots for a few minutes. People are always so scared to get stung. And just see if you see a... Oh my a, God, a bee! Yeah, see if you see a bee or something or a butterfly come I love by. it when people like freak out. There's a bee, there's a bee. Yeah. I'm like, just sit there. What do you, stop bothering you. Just sit yeah. there. Sometimes they bother you though. I got stung 22 times once. Yeah, but that's because you provoked a nest. That's true. I deserve, <laughs> I deserved it. But, <laughs> um, so... You mentioned before, um, Heidi, that you were interested in other um, environmental issues. Is there anything else you're working on in addition to pollinators? Is there any before we talk about other things? Was there anything you really wanted to say about pollinators that we didn't cover? Well, I do want to talk about. There are some things people specifically can do. So I just wanted to go down. Yeah, that please. Way. Yeah, let's let's okay, go. Some of them we've 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 talked about quite a lot. Like you know, don't use pesticides. Just And be careful when you go out shopping for plants that you buy what we call clean plants, plants that have not, have no neonicotinoids in them. And um, I think that it's becoming more and more of a known issue. And I have read that um, even, you know, that used to be you could not buy a plant at Lowe's or Home Depot because for sure it would have neonics in it. But um I think that's getting to be less and less true. I spoke to the guy at Lowe's last year, the year before, and he said that he was aware of the problem and very few of their suppliers use neonics, but you you still need to ask to be sure. And when you plant seeds, you need to buy organic seeds because a lot of seeds are sprayed with neonics and they will persist into the plant and get into into the nectar and the pollen and then get get into the bees. So it's really important to avoid neonicotinoids in, in particular. Um, and there are sources, if you go to that Western Massachusetts bees site, there's a list of local nurseries which don't use any um, neonics at all. And um, if you go to a native plant nursery, they won't have any neonics okay. either. So that's really important. Right. Um, so we talked about reducing lawn because lawn is just, you might as well, from an ecological point of view, you might as well just put down AstroTurf. Yeah. It is useless. But if you let it grow, if you let it get longer, then that's that helps things tremendously. Um, when you plant, so we also talked about getting rid of invasives and you should replace them with native plants. And we, we talked about how there's a lot of resources online about 
finding um, which native plants will suit your purposes. And some native plants are really super, super useful to pollinators like um, echinacea is like mm -hmm. kind of the poster child, uh, but it's a beautiful plant and it's yeah. easy to grow. And um, you can make medicine better. out of it too. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and on the subject of natives, it is better to plant the straight species rather than cultivars. So there's this, um, a lot of plant breeders are now, you know, they want to make the plants fancier or more colorful or have some, you know, frilly little thing on the top of the flower. These are not as valuable to pollinators as the straight species. So, you know, I plant some of them, but you know, for the majority of my yard, I try to plant straight species. Can I'll I ask a quick question about that? So a lot of people yeah. listening to this might say, oh, it's almost August. I shouldn't bother planting anything now. You know, spring and summer are over. Is it too late to go out to your um, local nursery. native plant nursery and pick up a plant and stick one in the ground right now? Well, it's not too late, but don't don't do it right now because it's it's just too hot and dry. Yeah. But the fall is a great time to be okay. planting plants. Right. So I think a lot of people think they should only and can only plant in spring, but we can no. plant right up into the fall, right? If the conditions yeah, are right. a lot of things do really well when you plant them in the fall. September is a great time, and even into October. Okay. You know, with climate change, <laughs> yeah, we have warmer falls, and yep. so, um, yeah, okay. I plant a lot of stuff in the fall. And right. It does very well. So, all yeah. you lazy people listening to this, you <laughs> have yeah, some. Don't do it now, though, it's way yeah. too hot. Way it's too, too dry. Yeah, but wait till it's a little wetter, and then get out there and plant. Yes. Okay. Okay. Here's something not related to planting that's okay. super important. And that is if you have lights outside your house, you know, like you have like, you know, driveway lights yeah. or a lot of people do, those are terrible for pollinators, especially because a lot of pollinators pollinate at night. Moths are um, actually as important or more important than butterflies in terms of their pollinator activity. Okay. And they fly at night and they're attracted to those lights and they just bang themselves against the light until they die. That kills so many pollinators. So what you wanna do is either get motion activated lights or replace the white light bulb with a yellow light bulb. Oh, okay. And that will not attract the moths. It will save so many important insects. And that's so easy to do. Yeah. So I did not cool. know that. that that pollination happens at night. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, moths and the whole world of moths. There's so yeah. many beautiful, beautiful moths out there that people just don't see because they aren't outside at night. Yeah, and the other thing is, you know, will help reduce light pollution too. I'm, yes. I hate light pollution. That's one of my pet peeves. Well, there's there's a big um, movement now. Uh, what do they call it? The dark sky initiative. Yeah. Yeah. Last summer we went at this time last summer we were up in the White Mountains and I was sitting out by the um by the fire. It had died down. And I was sitting out there with my brother and we were looking up at the sky and what I thought I was seeing clouds 
But then I realized I was seeing the Milky Way. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit. I've yeah. never seen this before. I've always wanted to see this. This is okay. amazing. Mm. And then somebody turned on a flashlight and blinded me and I lost it. <laughs> Light yeah, is horrible. Bad. Sorry. Yeah. So um, replace your white lights with yellow lights, people, outside. And motion detectors. And motion lights. Help the moths. What about yeah. bug zappers? No, get rid of no, those things. No bug zappers. What that, are those other mosquito things that are attracted to carbon? No, oh, those CO two traps. They're yeah. they're useless. Don't don't do those. You don't, can do. Oh, sorry, I was saying you could do more to reduce mosquito populations by putting up a couple of bat houses. Bats. Yeah, bats. Those dunks. Yeah, the dunks. We should yeah. get some dunks. We'll go get some. Dunks. Yeah. Okay. I'm open to the dunks. Okay. Um, anything after the lights that we can okay. do? Well, two other things you can do. Well, yep. three other things you can do. Well, okay, maybe five. Um, <laughs> don't be so eager to clean up all the fallen leaves in your yard because a lot of the insects live, you know, part of their life cycle and often overwinter. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, leave, leave the fallen leaves. Yeah, why yeah. Do people really oh, I think my neighbors better hate your me. garden anyway, not to clear it, oh clean it God. all up. Yeah. What is, what a waste of energy. I don't ever rake. I hate raking. I leave, I just, stomping <laughs> Jen, you can attest to this. We leave the leaves. No, I don't but, see the point good. of raking. Yep. Oh. So everybody else, enough with the raking. Right. Okay. All right. That's all right. What else? Yep. Okay. If you leave some bare ground, even though I said you should not rake up leaves, but if you leave some bare ground that a lot of um, native bees are ground nesters and they need to dig a little Mm. hole to um, make a nest in the bare ground. So that's important. Um, Also, if you can um, provide a clean water source, which, which could just be like, you know, a a little saucer of water with a couple of rocks in it so that the yep. bees can, you know, kind of crawl down and drink the water without drowning. Yep. That can be a huge help to a lot of bees. And you know about the whole bee house thing about how you can um, make a, it looks like a, you know, you just put these empty tubes of dried plants into like a bee house and a lot of bees will nest in on um, those dried stalks. Yeah, like native bees. Down, yeah. Don't cut down all your dead plants until the spring, until late in the spring, because yeah. a lot of those dead stalks will have native bees nesting in them. I think so I'm doing everything that, perfectly. I, I do everything right. You're perfect. I put out a saucer. I put out a saucer last month for um, water. I leave the plants up until spring. Yeah. We yeah. don't rake. We don't rake. Yeah. You're just naturally attuned to <laughs> Well, I think also like, you know, I you know, I personally grew up in a in a in a very suburban suburban yeah. New Jersey manicured lawn. Everything had rocks yeah. around it, very landscaped. And it's not really an aesthetic that I'm interested in pursuing. And I'm not a huge gardener anyway. So I'm like really of the mindset, just let, like, let it go. Like <laughs> very, very, very low energy yeah. when it comes to the yard, which is why I leave it to sawtooth anyway. Yeah. But I want to point out something though. I think it takes, and this is one of the reasons I admire you, um, 
and myself. It takes a lot of cur- <laughs> it takes a lot of courage yeah. to um, be the one yard in the neighborhood who isn't like going anal about raking leaves oh or you know having mosquito Joe or lawn jockey or whatever they are come and hose your yard down with chemicals. Like mm-hmm. you know, there was there were points many years ago where I went and apologized to my neighbors. I was like, look, I'm really sorry. I'm not, you know, Keeping up with the lawn. I don't keep my lawn up like that, but there are reasons why I don't do it. And like, I told them and they were like, no, that's cool. You're all right with us. That's fine. Well, you can get signs for your yard that yeah. explain that this is oh, a I want a habitat. pollinator. Let's get some. Yeah. Then I don't have to do any yard work. There you go. Yes. Right. Well, I think the aesthetic is changing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It really is. I, uh, you know, I have many neighbors. Luckily, my house is not visible from the street. Don't <laughs> <laughs> to worry about that. Yeah. But there's a lot of people on my street who have just literally acres of manicured grass. And I just, yeah. I, I, I just shake my head every time I drive by thinking, what a wasted opportunity it is to provide yeah. habitat. And do you, do you try just, to go out and educate them or do you not I, bother? Yeah, I'm, work, I'm working on it. Yeah. I have, I, I do have some friends in the neighborhood are definitely on my wavelength. And we talk a lot about how we're going to, um, mm-hmm. we're going to turn things around. But mm-hmm. yeah. what we both feel is that we need to make, we need to get our yards to the point where, we can show people what right good looking yard that is habitat looks right. like that it right. can be both right and um we're not neither of us are quite there yet but yeah. when we are there we'll we will be mm-hmm. actually one of the things i'm going to be doing this fall you are the first to know okay. is i'm going to be organizing some garden tours oh. around our town nice um, for people who are interested in making their yards more of a habitat, more pollinator friendly. Mm-hmm. And it can be either people who've already done it and want to show it off or people who are interested in learning how to do it. And they would like some coaching, yeah. some people to come and look at their yard and give you them some suggestions. So um, there'll be stuff posted about this on the, um, the Western Massachusetts pollinator network site that's cool. awesome um cool yeah and maybe and if you get on our mailing list you'll be hearing about that i'm also going to post stuff about this on the belcher town forum facebook page i have it, some ideas heidi that we're going to talk offline about and maybe okay. and maybe we can dust off the portable recorder and come out and do it in the field podcast episode I'm thinking a little bigger, but that's okay. How dare you? There's nothing bigger than this podcast. <laughs> nothing. A little bit more targeted to this Belchertown community. That would be super. That would be great. We're going to be intervu- interviewing for new co-hosts All very right. soon. All right. Very soon. All right. All right. Uh, was there anything else on the list? Um, we talked about messy yards, water yep. source, beer ground. Um. I think those are the the main things. I mean, you know, as I say, if you really want to go to town, there's a lot you can do. You know, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot that the ecologists recommend about having a layered yard, planting trees, um, you know, so you have a tall layer, then you have bushes, then you have like an understory layer. 
But um, that is, you know, if, if you want to do that, fabulous. But that level of effort is not necessary to really turn your yard around. And, you know, one of the signs of a, of a really healthy yard is if you look out in your backyard and you see fireflies. Mm-hmm. Oh, we have a bunch. So magical. Yeah. Except we don't go outside. Too many mosquitoes. Because of the mosquitoes. Inside and look out the window. (laughs) I think, you know, no, 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 no. Heidi said something earlier that has me really thinking. This year, it looks like we've got a good crop of pears coming up in our pear tree. But I think I need to get out there next spring with this paintbrush. So... I think you need to learn more about pear trees because they I think they only fruit like every three years. Oh. There's like a whole thing and like we don't prune them and we don't do like the we don't do we don't do right by our poor pear trees. <laughs> That's a different problem altogether. All right. So people listen. This is an important <clears throat> issue, yes. but we can take steps to move the needle. Exactly. Right. So let's move it. We have the power ourselves. We do. Yeah. <sighs> Jeez. So much. What else? Are, what else should we be thinking about? What else are you thinking about, Heidi? I know this is a lot. This po- the pollinators, but is there anything else you're that's occupying your mind in terms of environmental activism right now that well, you that you want to talk about? Well, there a re- no. Um, you know, there is a whole related thing of, um, you know, just reducing chemicals as yeah. a whole in the environment yeah. of, um you know, reducing the use of fossil fuels. Um, I, you know, not everybody can build a a net zero house, but they can make their existing house much more energy efficient, um, using less oil, less electricity, getting solar panels. um, And I'm thinking, and I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking like if you have a goal of using less fossil fuels, right? Um, pursuing a a pollinator-based yard can help you because then you don't have to get out there and mow that stupid lawn every week. That's right. The lawns, I could go go on for an hour about how stupid lawns are. Yeah. They are so stupid on so many levels. Yeah. I hate lawns. All that gas that you use to mow the lawn. (laughs) Yeah. I agree with you. And all the emissions that the lawnmowers... (laughs) don't have any pollution controls on them. No. And all the people that hire those stupid landscapers that park in the middle of the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do we know any landscapers? No. All right. Yeah. Those stupid landscapers. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, landscapers. We Listen, we know you've got to go out there and hustle, but look. Why don't you work with your uh, clients to talk about yeah. pollinator opportunities and planting some more native-friendly plants? You are brilliant. <laughs> that doesn't have to mean a loss of business. Right. Actually, there are a lot of landscapers that yeah. specialize in in pollinator-friendly yards. I, it, I It's just the ones that specialize yeah. in mowing the lawn. That, and chemicals. That <laughs> yeah. True, true green, what are they? All right. I have to ask you about this, um, and I thought this could be an issue you're interested in. I thought I saw maybe on one of your social media um, uh-huh. posting something about wild horses. Did did you was that you or was that somebody um, else who posted pictures oh, of some I, wild horses? I, yeah. uh, well, I do I do have a history of horses, 
I owned a horse up until March, but he died. Oh, I'm oh, sorry. sorry. Yeah, it was pretty hard. Um, Would you get another well, horse, do you think, at this no, point? Yeah. No, no, no. that's a whole other topic area. Yeah. But, um, no, in the greater scheme of things, um, wild horses are not one of my issues. I mean, okay. of course, I wish the best for all wild animals, but um, it's, you know, wild horses like deer and, you know, there's there's more of them than there is habitat that can support them. So yeah. it's, it's a real issue. Yeah, it's my, really my brother just moved to Oregon and like in a kind of college town out uh -huh. in Oregon and he was yeah. telling me there are so many deer mm -hmm. like yeah. they just sit on people's lawns they just lounge around in the parks they mill around on the town common yeah you know, they're like squirrels he said yeah and they probably demolish people's gardens I'm guessing they have to put up probably giant fences they're, they're, New Jersey is like that. I was just going to say, New Jersey has a huge deer issue. You know, like more deer than people. I, I will tell you that when my parents moved to New Jersey out of New York City, you know, 40 some odd years ago, 40, 40 years ago, <laughs> uh, and they moved to the town that I grew up in. The town that I grew up in was like Hadley 20 years ago. Yeah. Like there was, it was very agricultural. And there was nothing really there. And it has so built up in the last 40 years. There's no place for the poor deer to go. Right. There just isn't any, Yeah. you know, there's so many houses. And they're not even like small houses. They're like ginormous freaking houses. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Poor deer. Yeah. Yeah. We're the invasive species. We are the invasive species. We are. That's, that's, we, the, that's, that's the fact. All right. Um, anything else you wanted to touch on? No, I think I've, I've just let me look over my notes. Oh, there's just one other thing. Yeah. Um, there is a, a movement afoot, actually. One of my colleagues at the Western Massachusetts Pollinator Networks is working on this, is developing something called Pollinator Pathways in the town of Northampton. So this, this is connecting yards that are all pollinator friendly and making big, basically wildlife corridors for pollinators. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. So this could, this could greatly help the population. Some native bees just forage, you know, within a few yards, but some of them go, nice. you know, could go a mile or more. And so having these connected habitats is very important. And um, so if your neighborhood is so inclined, this would be something that, um, you know, anybody in a neighborhood could organize. Mm -hmm. I don't think our town is quite there yet, but maybe in a year or two it might be. And that would be really exciting. Yeah. yeah and what a nice way to, you know, connect neighbors mm -hmm. and neighborhoods yeah. and, mm -hmm. you know, around some plantings and plants. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah, and it's yeah. funny that you mentioned that because when Stomping Jen was talking about the deer, one of the things that popped into my mind was wildlife corridors. You know, the yeah. the, the, the tunnels, sometimes they build under highways right. or over highways. You know, mm -hmm. it's just, that was interesting that 
somebody thought of that and kind of redacted it down to the the insect level. Mm. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. All right, I have to ask you this question. I ask everyone this question who comes on the podcast. So it seems like you spend a lot of time outside. So <laughs> have you ever seen anything in nature that you cannot explain? Now, I will preface this by saying we had somebody come on and tell us about a a, a ghost, um, what they think was some kind of ghost performance they came across in the woods once. Somebody, what else, Stompin' Jen? It was an alien spaceship sighting. Yep, an alien. some lost time. Yep, lost time sighting. Anything anything happened to you in the outside that you cannot explain? Well, there's a lot of things outside I can't explain, but it doesn't mean that they're not explainable. <laughs> I have never seen anything that I thought science could not explain. No, no supernatural occurrence. Mm-hmm. No, no. S- he really wants to know if you've seen the Bigfoot. So far, my <laughs> <The Sasquatch>. so <laughs> far my <laughs> so far my attempts to paint a mysterious world are failing. That's okay. I hate the the world is plenty mysterious. Yeah, I love it that. Is. No, you're right. It absolutely is, and there's plenty of wonder in the world That's as true. we can observe it, right, and understand it, right? and try to understand it. Yeah, yeah. like you can find wonder, like. Our son uh, was—he's been our gardener this summer, and he—he uh, he showed me where the ants were like fighting each other. Two colonies of ants by his garden bed that are fighting each other every night, and he would tell me all about this, and he showed it to me. Do we have to worry? Is this like a um, a coliseum type of thing? Is he no. over overseeing these battles? I think he's going to be a brilliant entomologist. Yeah. No, this is what he was yeah. telling me. And I said, how do you know that they're fighting each other? There's yeah. just a lot of ants there. How do you know it's too... Con-? He's like, because there are dead bodies. You can watch them and like attack each other. Oh, wow. Yeah. do that. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure he's researched yeah. as well. Oh, geez. All right. So we... we and, um, So that's the end of our questions for you, but we usually end the podcast also by asking people um, what they're doing, you know, just to entertain themselves. What are you doing that's not, you know, activism or, you know, are you reading any good books, watching some TV, listening to music, anything you want to recommend to people? Mm. Well, you know, a lot of, a lot of what I do has been kind of, swept up in the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the book groups that I'm in is reading Zora Neale Houston's book, Their Eyes Were Watching God, which um, I haven't finished yet, but I recommend it. It's a pretty lively, interesting book. Mm -hmm. I can't believe that it was written like in the 19, when was it written? Like the 1940s or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyway, that's where it's, it's, it's very topical, but very uh, entertaining. And I'm also, the other book group I'm reading, um, well, I haven't started reading it yet, but I have watched some interviews and lectures by the author, a book called um, Farming While Black, which mm-hmm. details all of the ways that um, the black farmers have been um, disenfranchised and had their land actually stolen from them, mm-hmm. which is 
kind of like a um, a subset of all the ways that uh, the black population has been disenfranchised and kept in poverty through redlining and other other ways of of keeping them from accumulating any wealth. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 a real eye opener. I thought I knew a lot of that stuff, and I did, but. It's even even mm-hmm. telling me stuff I didn't know. I listened to a podcast that dealt with that subject recently, and mm-hmm. it may have been the woman who wrote that book appeared on it. I want to try yeah. to get the name of it right. Um, but I guess what I want to say is I think the single largest, one of the single largest civil rights settlements in American history came from disenfranchised black farmers who had their land stolen from them um, by banks and um, large farming corporations. Yeah. It, was, it, it was, the podcast was incredibly eye-opening. I wish I could find it. Yeah. In my quick scroll through, I'm not seeing it here. Um, I don't know how you listen to so many podcasts. Um, I don't sleep. Oh, I can't find it. Um, <laughs> sugar. Well, Um, but it it does bring up, not to open up another can of worms, but environmental issues are not separate from social justice issues. They really are very, very closely connected. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, I think um, this pandemic is allowing a lot of the time that we've gotten back into our lives from not commuting and things of that nature has allowed for educational opportunities for people to do a lot more. Yeah. Um, Stomping Jen, you're in a book club that I believe is dealing with some issues, you know, related to um, Black Lives Matter and racism. Yes. And what book are you reading? This book is um, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Yeah. Um, But every (laughs) meeting weekly and there's a lot of teachers in the group. So it turns a lot to the subject of our schools going to open in the fall and things of that nature. So, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So book clubs, do you watch any TV? Do you? Yeah, I do. Um, I actually watched way too much TV, so much TV since I retired, but also I retired exactly at the time that the shut, the quarantine started. Oh, so yeah. it was weird. And it was the same time my horse died. So it was weird. It was mm-hmm. very, um, no, we watch, we watch a lot of like European crime stuff <laughs> are you watching killing eve we just started yeah. season three that's a bbc america production and yeah i've read about that we should look into that it's pretty enjoyable what i really what i just um we just finished uh all the all of the seasons of um the good fight i don't think we we've watched that, watch that. It's yeah. on cbs all access is that related to the Good one. Yeah, it's like a sequel, but yeah. I think my father's it, watching. It's like a different spin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I really loved that. I thought it was really interesting and insightful on a lot of different levels. Okay. I really liked that. But right. yeah, I do a lot of cooking. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of gardening. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Um, thank you both very much. You well, are. Very good interviewers. Very, oh, thank you. Very enjoyable. Um, well, it helps when we have amazing guests. So yeah. this didn't, well, you know, an hour and 35 minutes went by without oh, a, a blink of an eye. And I, I learned 
a so lot. Much, yeah. And I really appreciate you coming on and talking to us. Well, I really um, appreciate you helping me to get the word out about yeah. this is such an important topic. Okay. Um, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to hit our outro, outro music. Okay. If you want to, it's like a, about a minute, but if you want to hang on a little bit longer, we can just, you know, tie up okay. the bow offline. Um, um, so I'll hit that. And then um, we'll say to all of our listeners as we're going out, Bye Thank now. you for listening. We love you. Blah, blah, blah. What else do we want to say to them, Stomping Share. Jen? Yeah, tell a friend. Do some marketing for us, please. We've got some really Come good episodes. We've got some really good episodes coming up. Share our right? content. Stomping Educate Jen. the masses. Who's coming up next? This meat for tea. Meat for tea. It's a yeah. local, yeah, uh, like writing group yeah. slash sound music. Yep. Yeah. That's going to be exciting. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And I've um, just connected with somebody who goes by the name Mother of Parrots on Instagram. And she has a bunch of parrots. And she's going to come on and talk to us about having parrots. (laughs) That's very... All right, listen. I find that interesting. No, I'm not. I just... I think it's... Okay. just said parrots like a a bunch of times. All right. All right. Listen, people, we love you to death, really. Um, Thank you for listening, and we will see you later, okay? All right. All right, bye Bye now. Thank you.